have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to the fourth chapter of Jonah. I struggled this week as to whether to um, continue on with the book of Jonah or to uh, change and, and speak directly to the sanctity of human life. But the more that I read chapter 4, the more that I was convinced that the message that God gives us here in chapter 4 is a message of sanctity of human life. And so today we're going to talk about that sanctity of human life from the perspective of Jonah. So if you would stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord, we're going to read all 11 verses of the last chapter today and finish up the book of Jonah. And it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that he was angry, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarsus. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness and repent of thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better that for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made him a booth, and he sat under it in the shadow till it might see that what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from the, his grief. So Jonah was exceeding and glad for the gourd. But God prepared a worm, and that morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, and it withered. And it came to pass that when the sun ar did arise, and God prepared a vermin at east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainteth and wished to himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on a gourd for that which thou hast not labored, neither madeth it grow, which came up in the night and perisheth in the night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherewith in more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Father, as we close the book of Jonah, we're, we're intrigued by the, the way that Jonah ends. But we're reminded that, Lord, there is a message of the sanctity of human life. That, God, you remind Jonah that you are concerned about every life. That you're concerned about every being, whether small or great, whether wicked or righteous. Lord, we are thankful today that, Father God, that you have reminded us as a church that every life matters from the beginning to the very end. And we need to make sure that, Father, that we are promoting what it means to, to be people who believe in the sanctity of human life. So, Father, I pray that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross. Let it not be my word that is spoken today, but your word as we see the message in which Jonah gives to us about his failure to see the importance of every life. Lord, now we hear from thee 
And we ask that you would hear from us and that we would respond to you as you draw near to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, the Bible tells us in the four chapters of Jonah that Jonah began running away from God to the very place to trying to run God. And I want to look at that in our opening statement today, how Jonah began running away, but then found himself trying to run God. Have you ever tried to move God off the throne and put yourself there instead? Have you ever tried to disregard everything that God has said about himself and his commands because we thought we knew what was better for us? You know, every time that we sin, that is exactly what we are doing. We are telling God that He does not know what is right and what is good for us and that we know better and that we're going to do it our way and not His way. Well, throughout the book of Jonah, we have seen Jonah doing that exact thing. Consider chapter 1. We saw Jonah trying to run away from God. God gave Jonah a mission to go to Nineveh and, and God... I uh, told him to preach the gospel, and Jonah tried to decline the mission. But God would not let him. God's will in this mission is sovereign. He is perfect and complete control. And he will not allow his mission to be failed. The Jewish prophet needed to keep him from performing what he wants him to do. In this case, God's will is irresistible. Then it takes us to chapter 2. In chapter 2, we saw Jonah running smack into God. You cannot run away from God in that you do not find a time, like Jonah, that you will run smack into God. In Jonah's case, he was swallowed by a big fish. He prayed a prayer that was self-centered and lacked a true repentive attitude, but yet he found himself face to face with God. Then in chapter 3, we saw Jonah somewhat reluctantly and, and, and grudgingly obey God. We saw Jonah try to run away from God, run smack into God, and now we find that he is trying to run God. Jonah has been thinking throughout the book that he knows better than God. Jonah has been uh, trying to tell us that, that he knew what God should do with all of those wicked people of, of Nineveh. In the last chapter of the book, we hope that Jonah will finally learn his lesson. We hope that Jonah finally repents and finally agrees that God can be gracious to whoever he chooses. That God does cherish every life, all life, no matter at what age of life. And that God's desire is to show grace to those in which he would show grace. We need to be reminded that Jonah did not see that Nineveh didn't deserve grace any more than we do. By the way, how would you react if you preached the gospel to a city and every person in the city repented of their sins? What would your heart be like? Most likely not the way Jonah appears here in chapter 4. But I want you to understand, it really depends on where your heart is. The heart of the matter here is the matter of the heart. 
And Jonah's heart was not where it needed to be. Jonah did not desire to see God's grace upon every living being. Look how Jonah responded when Nineveh repented. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, we see the response of Jonah to God's grace. Why did Jonah respond that way? Well, let's remember that Assyria and, and, and Israel were rivals. They were in a contest that could leave only one nation standing. Jonah was a popular prophet in the land of Israel. And it appeared to others if he were helping the enemy by preaching to them and God would show his favor upon them and not destroy them, well, Jonah wouldn't be able to show his face in Israel ever again. Also, Jonah knew that the Ninevites were quite wicked and cruel, and Jonah probably had a hatred for them, at least a hatred towards their sin. And he was hoping that God would also have such a hatred towards their sin that he would choose to destroy them. We should not be so hard on Jonah, though. We are all sometimes like that. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't judge a certain people or a certain group of people. We oftentimes ask the question, why is wickedness prevailing? Why doesn't God just rain down fire upon those wicked people? We sometimes fail to understand the sanctity of all human life just as Jonah did. We see them wickedly, and we see their evil, and we wish that God would just destroy them instead of redeeming them. We judge Jonah, but we dare not judge him too quickly. If we can relate to what Jonah is feeling here, if we can understand that there are times in our own lives when we don't always, always look towards the, the sanctity of every human we might understand what God wants to teach us here in this lesson. Sometimes we might pray as Jonah prayed here in verses 2 and 3. Jonah gives us an honest confession of his heart. Jonah's honest confession is found there in verses 2 and 3. Here at last we see why Jonah would rather flee to Tarsus than preach fire and brimstone to Nineveh and why he would rather die than obey God. The answer to both of those is that he knew God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who would relent from doing harm. Did you know that Jonah is actually proclaiming Exodus chapter 34 and verses 6 and 7? Jonah is simply just reiterating what he already knew that the Bible tells us that God is like. Jonah knew his scripture, and he knew God was gracious. He did not want God to show his compassion upon Nineveh. He did not want God to show his love towards this heathen nation. He did not want God to bless them or forgive them, but simply just to judge them. In fact, it seems that Jonah disagrees with how God handled the situation. In other words, Jonah is trying to run God now by telling God how that he should behave. God's love and grace is a wonderful thing when it is directed towards Jonah and towards the people of Israel. 
But when God shows his loving kindness towards Israel's enemies, Jonah wants nothing to do with it. He thinks it's unfair and they don't deserve it. Jonah, however, knowing God's character and telling God what was wrong with what he was doing as he gave grace to Nineveh. Jonah, in his anger, is attacking God's actions, saying that the people of Nineveh do not deserve your grace. Consider the words of the song that Twyla just sung. I picked that song specifically because it spoke something to the church today. Listen to the words. Does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? Or does anybody even know that she's going down today under the shadow of our steeple? With all the lost and lonely people searching for a hope that is tucked away in you and me. Does anybody hear her? Anybody see? If judgment looms under every steeple, if lawfully glances of lawfully people, if we can't see past her scarlet letter, and we've never even met her, that speaks volumes. All too often, the church is willing to judge instead of willing to show grace. Willing to push away instead of receive in. Jonah's heart was so twisted that he couldn't see the love and the grace of God was for all humanity not just for a select few. Church today, we need to understand that there are lost and lonely people that are under the shadow of this very steeple. Drive by every day. They shop right next door. What are we doing to make sure that they know of the grace that we have received. What are we doing to make sure that they know that there is always an open seat for them? Jonah had lost that. And I'm afraid that all too often today, the church has lost it as well. We're willing to look at the wickedness of people and say, God, judge them, instead of asking God to have grace upon them. Yes, there are millions of abortions that happen every year. And there are people that take one another's lives every day. And there is wickedness that prevails in our land. But should we just throw them all away? Should we just cast them all out? Or should we ask God 
to show them the same grace that he showed us. Jonah forgot that grace is a gift that is given to all, not to those who deserve it, but to those who will receive it. None of us deserve it. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Jonah didn't know exactly what would happen if God would not destroy although he probably had a good idea if God shows his grace. But his hatred for the Ninevites was so much that he wanted God to destroy, not show grace. In fact, now that God has been compassionate upon the Ninevites, Jonah says he would rather die than to face the effects of God's grace. Jonah was so angry with God, so angry, that he says in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3, it is better for me to die than to live. Why? Why was Jonah so angry that he was willing to give up his life? Leads us to some probing questions we need to examine this morning, not only about Jonah, but about us. God begins to probe Jonah's heart. And I pray that you will hear the words that God asked Jonah and that you would look at it as if he were asking you today. One author said that Jonah prayed his best prayer in the worst place, the fish's belly, and prayed his worst prayer in the best place at the great awakening of Nineveh. His first prayer came from a broken heart. His second prayer came from an angry heart. And God deals with that angry heart by simply asking a question that reveals his misdirected perspective. In verse 4, Jonah receives this first question from the Lord. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry at the world around us for the wickedness that is within this world? Is it right for you to be angry at them that, that you would say that it's all their fault? My friends, this is a question of perspective. Jonah, we're looking at the same awakening. And I'm glad and, and, and the host of heaven are rejoicing. Because doesn't the scripture say that, uh, that the angels rejoice after one sinner repents? What do you think was happening after hundreds of thousands of them gave their life to Christ? There was quite the party going on in heaven, but, but God looks at Jonah and says, Jonah, with all of the excitement of heaven, how can you be so angry? Jesus looked down at the city of Jerusalem 
Paul walked around the city of Athens where the streets were filled with historians said that there were more statues of God than there were people. And he was filled with alarm for their souls. Jonah looks at the city of Nineveh and gets angry that God had showed his mercy. God basically says to Jonah, listen Jonah, we're looking at the same situation here. Yet you, we have two different perspectives. Which one of them do you think is most reasonably right? This is a question I'm sure God sometimes asks us when we say to him, I'm going to do it my way. It is better for me to do my way than your way. Jonah, I had every right to kill you for disobeying me, but yet I spared your life. I had more right to destroy you than I did Nineveh, but I shared my grace with you as well as I did with them. James chapter 4 verse 17 reminds us, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And the Bible is very clear to remind us that, that he who sins must answer for his sins. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God's grace is sufficient for my sin. I'm glad that there is forgiveness every day. For it isn't that I once made a mistake, but that I continue to make them. It wasn't that I once sinned. It is that I continue to sin every day. And if it weren't for God's grace and His forgiveness, where would you and I be? Jonah, in his typical human fashion, when asked the question, have you any right to be angry? Did what most of us do. When God confronts our sin, what do we do? We go find a corner to pout in. We run as far away from God as we can so that we don't have to answer his question knowing full well that we are wrong and he is right. While Jonah is off pounding, God is still at work. Jonah chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 leads us to the second question. A question of mistaken priorities. In verse 9, Jonah is asked again, it is, is it right for you to be angry about a plant? Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about a plant that was once here for a moment and now is not? You see, God's first question exposed Jonah's misdirected perspective. His perspective was on the fact that, that these sinners, above all other sinners, deserved God's judgment, not His grace. I'm a sinner, but I always deserve His grace. We, too, have that misdirected perspective that somehow we deserve what they do not. I'm so glad that God is one who is not someone who looks upon us and judges us 
based upon some worldly characteristic. But he gives his grace to all who will receive. The second question in response to Jonah's plea to die exposes his mistaken priorities. God asked this question again, the same question he asked, but he put a little bit more detail in the one from verse 4 to the one to verse 9. And Jonah did not answer God the first time, but God is still trying to get through to Jonah. So he asked him again, do you have a right to be mad about a plant? Jonah's answers surely, clearly shows his mistaken priority. Jonah declares, yes, I have every right to be mad. But did he have a right? He didn't do anything, God says. You didn't do nothing to produce the plant. You didn't do nothing to grow the plant. You didn't do nothing to save the plant. It wasn't your plant, Jonah. Why do you have a right to be angry over something that doesn't belong to you? Think about it just for a moment. The plant was simply just an illustration to remind Jonah that God created every human life. Every human life that was created and is created and will be created is created by God himself. Therefore, God has every right to protect, to cherish, to value every human being. Jonah... Your priorities are wrong. You think that if it's yours, you have a right to be mad when it's taken away from you. But can I just remind you that we have nothing in this life that is ours, but everything that we possess in this life is a gift from God, and it comes from heaven above. Everything that we have is His including our next breath. What right do we have to be angry when God takes something back from us that was rightfully His? The third question, a question of misguided passion. God asked Jonah this question, should I not spare Nineveh? God's third question focuses on Jonah's misguided passion. The Lord bluntly asked, Should I not be moved with pity and mercy? Should I not be moved on their behalf? This morning, as we think about the sanctity of human life, should we not be moved by the, the, the fact that hundreds of thousands of millions of babies are, are, are killed every year? Should we not be moved with compassion that our elderly are being euthanized before God is ready to call them home? I mean, it's from one spectrum to the other. God says that all human life from breath to breath is important, is special, is to be it is time for us as a church to not only say that we believe in the sanctity of human life, it is time for us to stand up and start living it. 
What are we doing to make sure that, that those innocent babies are spared as many as we can? What are we doing to support our pregnancy center? What are we doing to make sure that our elderly are taken care of, that, that they are not euthanized because of their value has become diminished? It is time for the church to get outside of its comfort zone. It's time for the church to say it is more than just mere words. It's time for us to show action. It's time for us to go and do. It is not a time for us to sit under the shadow of our steeple. Everything on this planet is in the process of perishing. Only those things that remain in the spirit realm, including the existence of a human soul, will endure. This is where our priority should be. God asked Jonah a question. Jonah, are you willing to compare 120,000 souls to one plant? Jonah, why are you angry about a plant that is here today and gone tomorrow, but don't care about 130,000 souls that will live for all of eternity. Church, that is a question that we must ask and answer for ourselves. I have used the book of Jonah for the last 20 years preaching revivals because Jonah is a great book to talk about where we were, where God is, and where we need to be. But you know, the casual reading of the book of Jonah leaves us with the misunderstanding of what is the lasting lesson of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, God asks Jonah an important question, but yet closes the book without a final answer. We hear the question that God says, Jonah, why are you angry over a plant? Jonah, why shouldn't I have showed mercy on 120,000 souls that didn't know right from wrong? In order for us to understand the lasting lesson of Jonah, we have to look at some of the theories about the book of Jonah. Some think that it is a book about how to know false prophets, for Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22 points out that a prophet whose prophecy does not come true, he is a false prophet. There are those who think that Jonah was a false prophet because he went into Nineveh proclaiming that in 40 days God was going to destroy Nineveh, but yet in 41 days God did not. Now I ask you a question. How well do you know your Bible? Because I want to ask you, was Jonah a prophet or was Jonah a false prophet? Jonah was a prophet because Nahum says in Nahum chapter 1 that God came back and he looked at the sin of the, the nation of, uh, of Nineveh 150 years later and said their wickedness had come up upon him again and therefore judgment came upon them. God kept his word. 
the prophet Jonah spoke the truth. If you don't repent, judgment shall come. Some think that Jonah is to show us that some prophecies are simply conditional. They're, they're, they're based upon this or that. But when it comes to chapter 1 and 2, we learn that this is the prophecy did not come true, but later it did in Nahum 6.12 B.C. It's not that God says that my prophecies are conditional. When God says something, He says it. And when God says something, He does it. And when God does something, He does it right. Some think the book is intended to get, uh, to get the Jews to repent of their sin by showing them the sin of foreign nations. But yet, we read nothing of Jonah going back to preach to Israel and say, if God would judge these and have mercy upon them, then you must recognize that God is saying, repent of your sin before judgment falls upon us. But the most popular throughout all of history is the idea that the book of Jonah is about God's missionary concern for the people. But not just for Jewish people, but for all people. This was held by such men as Augustine and Luther uh, uh, early years, and most modern writers today think the very same thing. Those are the four most popular views or theories about the book of Jonah. But I want to I just share with you that the first two missed the mark. The first prophecy or, or theory of the prophecies of Jonah are close, but not quite there. Listen to the words of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 again. But the Lord said, You have had pity on a plant for which you had not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which more than 100 20,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left in much livestock. And with that, the story ends. Why does the story end that way? Why didn't God choose to end the story at the end of, uh, of chapter two, 3 with the, the, the great revival of Nineveh? Well, because the story is not about Nineveh. The story was never about the, 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 the saving of Nineveh. If not, what's the story about? The story is about you and me. The text leaves us hanging because its question, though it was given to Jonah, is given to all who will read the book of Jonah. The question is so that no matter how long God tarries and how old the story of Jonah gets, the question is still first. Why should you get angry over something that you did? And I don't have a right to be gracious to those
God see when he looks into your heart? What are you angry about? What are you unwilling? And who are you unwilling to go to? Here's the question I ask you. What are you concerned about? What concerns you most? The temporal things of this world that come and go? Or the eternal things of God? What is God concerned about? Is he concerned about whether you have all the pleasures of this life or is he concerned about where you spend your eternity? If what you're concerned about does not match what God is concerned about, then there is a problem. And I want you to know that the book of Jonah says that when God sees a problem in your heart and my heart, he is going to do everything that he can to get a hold of our heart. And if you are like Jonah today and you are still running away from God, let me assure you that God will never stop chasing you. And I promise you, he will catch you. And when he catches you, he will shake you. And when he shakes you, he will get your attention. Because what God wants most is for us to have the same heart that he has look into your heart today examine your motives and your fears examine your willingness to obey God and ask the question is God after my heart do you harbor resentment and hard feelings towards a specific group of people or a specific person the question is not, where can God use me the most? But the question that God is asking all of us is where can God change us the most? Where is God trying to change you today? You might say, that I believe in the sanctity of human life, but yet I still believe in free choice. You might say today that I believe that every life is sacred, but yet there are some that I wish God would just send to hell. The two do not belong together. Either we believe God or we don't. Either we trust that God loves all of us or that we believe that he loves none of us. I choose to believe that God loves us. And that his grace is for everyone who will receive. Let's not just talk about the sanctity of human life, but let us go out and share the promise of eternal life.
that will sanctify every life as special. It's time that we stop talking a good game and start living up to our name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you stand to your feet this morning? Without any music, without any lures, I'm going to ask that as I pray for you, if, if there is something that you need to get right with the Lord, someone you need to pray for, someone that you need to, to uh, commit to reaching out to, would you come to the altar or just stand where you I don't uh, It's not up to me where you do this, but it's, it is my desire that you would do this, that you would search your heart and allow God to search it for you and reveal to you that which is contrary to his will and then respond to him with yes Lord change me Father as I bow before the congregation in my heart I bow before a sovereign God in my spirit and Lord I ask that Father that you would receive the prayers of your people as we conclude our time together. That, Lord, if there are those that need to do business with you in just the next few moments, that they would make their way towards the altar of God. Rather, that is the altar here at the front of the church, or rather it is before you in heaven. That, Lord, you would do whatever it is that you need to do with them that each heart can be in alignment with your heart. Lord, we're asking that you change us in order to change the world so that every life is sacred. Every breath is from God. Hear us now as we pray. doing business with God. May you just continue to reflect upon him for just a moment.